So we go out and we're riding our bikes in the rain because what else are you going to do if it's raining but ride your bikes? And, and all of a sudden we go behind our house. We've been out for a while. We go behind our house and this little creek had all of a sudden turned into like a rapid roaring river. It was like, it, it, normally, you know, it's like two and a half feet wide and six inches deep. It was literally, it was like 10 feet wide. It, it, had, it had rapids. I mean, it was, the current was crazy. And so we're sitting there on our bikes and uh, David looks at me and he's like, dude, I dare you to ride your bike through it. <laughs> and so me being the younger and more exciting brother looked at him and said, after you. So I think he at that point felt some responsibility. And uh, so there he goes, taking off down the hill, headed straight for this rapid. I mean, I'm not joking. This was a serious river now. And he goes, I see the front tire hit the water. And, be, and that's all I saw. And the bike, gone. <laughs> David, underwater. I see hand, nothing. His head pops up occasionally. And I'm running down. Oh. You know, this little, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, do I jump in and we both die? Do I stay out and take on the family name? You know, I was like, what do I do? And, uh, you know, so I'm debating what to do here. And, and I look and, and this, the creek runs behind our house. All of a sudden it turns and it goes under the street. And so it turns into asphalt pretty soon. Like it's a regular nice creek with rocks and grass. And then all of a sudden it turns into asphalt. And I'm like, you know, if David is going down the river, when that, he's not going to have anything to grab. And, uh, and so I'm watching my brother die. And, uh, and, and there he goes. And literally, I'm not joking. I wish I, I would like to be exaggerating here, but I'm not. Literally, like a foot before he enters into the tomb of death, uh, he reaches up, grabs like the most dead piece of grass ever. Have you seen, have any of you guys ever seen the old movie, Black Sheep? Black Sheep, Tom, uh, you know, where, where he's falling down the hill and he grabs this little root and he's like, oh, thank you, little root. That's where David was. He grabs this little piece of grass, pulls himself up. He lives, as you know. And, uh, you know, and so that was, a, that was a good day. We never found the bike, but we do dumb things. You know, I don't know why. I, we do dumb things all the time. Um, I, I've been off-roading before. Any, any off-roaders in here? That... Uh, I, I went off-roading one time in a car that uh, I drove. It was an Oldsmobile. Yeah, it was awesome. We got stuck on a three-foot in-bay, you know I mean? Like, but, you know, we, I, who takes an Oldsmobile off-roading? You know, my friends and I growing up, we were obsessed with, with getting on, on top of roofs. Anybody ever climb up on roofs? We loved to get up on roofs. And so... Uh, so like I remember one time we got up and we were at my house and we crawled out the window and we were going uh, and it was winter time. So you got it. Once you're on the roof, you got to get to the very top. Right. And so we uh, we turned the corner to go up to the very top. And uh, I, my friend in front of me, all of a sudden I see him turn the corner and then I look down. He's on he's on our driveway laying there on the driveway and he's like okay hey guys there's a piece of ice on the roof don't step on it my other friend right after him what this bam on the ground oh our gutter forever had this massive dent whenever it would rain it was just like a huge waterfall from our roof because there's no gutter there anymore we were on the roof of uh, my friend's house once I, I told you we climbed on roofs i don't know why we were on the roof and and uh his it, my, my friend's sister came out and she was like oh you guys got enough 
the roof. I'm going to tell on you. So we're like trying to get off without her seeing us, right? So we go and we run and we jump off the roof, except same friend that did the second falling. He jumps off the roof, right? Gets his foot caught. <laughs> Boom, face first down on the ground. Ugh. You know, I, mean, I don't know why, but we loved it. We did, we did some really, really dumb things. I mean, I've, I live in Colorado here. And uh, it, some of you live here. I don't know how many of you have noticed, but uh, in the winter here, it snows. And, uh, and so, I, you know, we've, uh, you know, I don't recommend this, but, you know, before we've gone to like school parking lots and put like mattresses out and sl- done sledding behind a truck on the snow. And this is not wisdom, friends. These are not things you should do, but as guys, we just, we, we, for some reason, we, uh, we kind of get excited about doing these adventuresome, crazy, dumb things. When we read this verse, to live not as unwise, but as wise, we don't always embody that. You know, we do some, some, some dumb things, and, and I don't know why, but I think, I think it's because there is within you this desire for this adventure. To go out and have a crazy fun time, to do things that are extravagant and awesome. Each one of us has this this weird desire in us to go out. Listen, why do we climb on roofs? Why do we go off-roading in cars that were made to stay on the road? Why do we jump off things? Why do we, you know, like, why do we like to go fast? I don't know. But I think it's because we have this excitement within us, this this God-given desire for adventure. And as I go to church, I've grown up in the church. Uh, my dad is a pastor, and so I've been in church my whole life. And I've noticed some, some interesting things throughout my days. Um, and it's like guys are these crazy, we do these crazy things, and, and we like to have fun, we like to have adventure. And then all of a sudden when we get to church, it's like, oh, we got to slip into the Christian thing. And we go, and, and all of a sudden, like if you go to a prayer meeting, um, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings with very high-pitched voices leading the prayer meeting. You know, I've been to a lot of, of, of events where, where all of a sudden guys get to, to church or to the Christian activity and we're just like, oh, all right, this is kind of the spiritual thing, kind of the girly thing to do. Let the girls do the spiritual thing. And we kind of get this like, oh, uh, this isn't really our, we want to go have crazy fun and, and we let kind of, for some reason, uh, I've seen, I'm not saying this is true of your church or your school or whatever, but I've seen that a lot of times when it comes to, to Christian activities, we let the girls kind of, well, that's kind of the girl thing to do. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case, but I think that there's a fundamental problem that that leads us to that. I think as men, we have a wrong perspective of the God we serve. I think we have a wrong perspective of the God we serve. I'm going to piggyback on on some of what David talked about last night, and I just want to talk about Jesus a little bit. Is that okay? I want to talk about Jesus. See, I was having a conversation with, with my good buddy Austin the other day, and he pointed out some of these verses to me, and and I liked them. I thought they were fun. So I thought we'd, we'd go through some of them. I think that uh, sometimes we have this picture of Jesus. And, and I don't know what, how you picture Jesus. When you think of Jesus, I don't know how you picture Jesus. Maybe it is the coloring book you had when you were five years old. You know, maybe it was your little uh, picture Bible. Anybody even here have like a kid's picture Bible when you were a little kid? You know, maybe it's this, uh, you know, this really nice, sweet Jesus with blue eyes and a perfect braided hair or something, a, a nice glowing robe, you know, and like, I don't know, it's just really cute Jesus. I don't know, maybe, maybe you picture Jesus, maybe you think of, you know, sweet baby Jesus. You know, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe you like your Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. I don't know. 
Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we have these weird things, you know, like Jesus is my homeboy, you know, he's my buddy. You know, we, we have these, I, I think that we have these views of Jesus. And the problem is that many of the views, I think, are, are a soft Jesus. They're soft Jesus. And even if they're not, any view of Jesus as man does not fully capture who Jesus really is. I mean, we talked about last night, the greatness of who Christ is, the greatness of Jesus, all eternity past, all eternity future, creation. I mean, this man is powerful, and I think we have too small a view of Jesus, but I wanna, I wanna introduce you to a, to a Jesus that I never learned about in Sunday school. I don't know, maybe you learned about this in Sunday school, but uh, if you look in Psalm, Psalm 3, Psalm 3 verse uh, 7 says this, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. I'm going to go through just a few titles. Now, some of you may think, well, whatever, I don't, I don't know what you're going to think. But, uh, you know, this, this Jesus right here, this is, uh, this is UFC Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you guys, watch, you know, but UFC Jesus, you know, it says, break the teeth of the wicked. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We're going to go, let's see here. Psalm 107. We'll start in verse 15. Let them, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through the bars of iron. This is SWAT team Jesus. He breaks down the iron. He cuts through it. He breaks down the walls. He just comes in and he rescues people. That's SWAT team Jesus. I want to show you, uh, let's look at 300 Jesus. Anybody 300 Jesus? Yeah, 300 Jesus. Psalm 35. Psalm 35. Let's start in verse one. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. That's 300 Jesus coming in with a spear and a javelin. He knows how to work it. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's look at uh, Revelation 1. Revelation 1. I'm going to read verse 14. Revelation 1, 14 says this. Actually, let's start in 12. I turn around to see the voice of that who, uh, I'm sorry. I turn around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned and saw seven golden lampstands among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were, like, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. That's the mortal combat, Jesus. He's got the sword coming out of his mouth. He's got stars in his hand, ready, you know. I mean, this is, this is not the Jesus I learned about in Sunday school, you know. Let's go. We talked about this one last night, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were like blazing fire, and on his head were many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the, and his name is the word of God. I just want to focus here where it says he has a robe or he, he, that is dipped in blood. You know, in Isaiah, it talks about that same idea. Do you know what that is? That's the blood of the martyrs. That's the blood of those that are given his, their lives. That's the bride of Christ. This is Braveheart Jesus. This is the, hey, you killed my bride. I'm coming to get you, Jesus. That's, that's, that's what that is. Let's look, at, let's look at one more. Let's go to John, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, verse 13. 
Is that, oh, I'm in, still in Revelation. <laughs> I was like, that does not look right. John 2, John 2, 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who, who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So here's Jesus. He walks in. They're selling things. They're selling cattle. They're selling sheep. This is, a, this is like Indiana Jones meets Incredible Hulk Jesus. You know, like, he like, all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're selling stuff? Don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry, you know? And then he, but then he gets angry. So what does he do? He goes and makes a whip. Makes a whip. I don't know how many of you have ever made a whip. It takes some time. You know, I mean, there he is braiding this whip. And he's like, I cannot believe that they are doing this. I mean, he's sitting there. He's got this whip. And he is making this whip. And you can just see it, like, building. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, He's like, get out of here. Zeal for your house will consume me. I know that for me, this idea of this, this exciting, take the planet type Jesus really resonated with me when I was in high school. When I was coming to the Lord, when I was finding out who he was, I loved, my, my favorite verse was uh, Matthew eleven twelve. for the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And I had this desire to see God move in my generation, see God move in, in young people, see God move at my school. And I had this, this conviction that Jesus was no softy. I had this conviction and this understanding that Jesus wasn't the nice, cute little guy we sing songs about when we're five but that this was a man that was coming to rule and reign. And the kingdom of God, from the time of John the Baptist, Jesus said, until now, has been, some versions say, forcefully advancing, and the violent take it by force. I love the idea of advancing the kingdom of God, that we're on the winning side. We're on the side of this king. This, this, I mean, this is, this is a pretty bad dude. I mean, this guy that breaks jaws and makes whips, you don't really want to mess with him. You know, you know, I mean, obviously we read in Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, where it says, put on the whole armor of God. Here he's talking, this, you know, this kind of warrior talk that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Obviously, when I'm talking about this idea, I'm not talking about going and, and we need to be these crazy wild men for Jesus that go and you start throwing tables in your school at people and you're like, you need to know Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about this violence rising up in us against sin, against evil. I'm talking about being the kind of people that see God for the all-conquering, all-powerful God that he is. It's important that, that, that you have the right view of who your God is. Listen, if you talk to any of my friends, my number one thing is that I desire people to encounter the love of God. I, th that is the number one thing that is, is in my priority is that people our age, your age, experience the love, of, the love of God. Listen, I know God is love, and that's why. I'm not saying this in contrast to this, to, to that. I'm saying it is that love. You know, Song of Songs talks about love that, that is it, 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 to, to, to 
You know, I'm not going to quote Song of Songs. This is a men's meeting, right? No, but it talks about to, to, to give everything for love, it would be utterly scorned. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about a love that, that this, this is a violent love where God is coming. And, and, and it's not this idea that we're supposed to be these crazy, wild, violent men. No, it's this inner desire to know God and to see him for who he, who he really is. God is an all-consuming fire. And then we read in John 15, 13. I want you to read this with me. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. When you begin to understand how powerful Jesus is, you begin to understand the great sacrifice in his giving up his life. See, this is not, this was not someone who was physically overtaken. This is someone who willingly gave his life out of love. He looked at his disciples here and he's about to go and endure the cross. He's on his way. He knows what's coming. And he looks at them and he says, all right, boys, let me give you a little secret. No greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. Go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2 Verse five, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, as Jesus is talking to his disciples here, we think of Jesus looking at them and saying, greater love is there, no greater love is there than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. He is giving a prophetic statement for what he's about to go do. He is giving a prophetic statement for the fact that he is about to endure the cross. And he's saying, there's nothing greater that you can do to show your love than to give your life. But guess what? He's also making a statement of what he had already done. In becoming a man, do we realize what Jesus gave up? Do we realize what it meant for him to become a man, to take on the very nature of a servant? We're talking the King of kings and Lord of lords, taking on the very nature of a servant. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through this poverty, so that you through this poverty may, might become rich. Jesus had given his life long before the cross. He came with full understanding of what he was going to do. He, he, he gave up his richness, his riches. He became that of a servant. And here he is looking at his disciples and he says, boys, no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. And at the time, they probably all looked at Jesus and said, hmm, that's really, that's deep, Jesus. That's good. You know, fast forward a little bit as they're looking at him on the cross. I wonder what the conversations looked like. Hey, do you realize, remember that time? Remember what Jesus said? Is this like, did he know this was gonna happen? I mean, this is the guy, listen, we know this guy. We know that he doesn't have to be there right now. I mean, I thought he was gonna come and like rule and reign and, and, and kick, the everybody, kick everybody out, kick the Romans out and, and just make sure that we're, we're reestablishing the kingdom of God here. I thought he was gonna be like this, this overcoming kind of, kind of savior. And there he is dying. No greater love is there than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. 
And I wonder as they, as they go on and as they begin to establish the church and start the early church, I wonder if that phrase, now this is, this is just me wondering, but I wonder if that phrase didn't kind of become the mantra of what they were doing, kind of become the, the idea of, of behind all their actions. I mean, John on the island Patmos, you know, he's banished there. What's he thinking? Is he upset that he's there or is he saying, Jesus, count this, I'm giving my life for you. You know, as one by one, as the disciples were martyred, I wonder if they winked at each other on the way saying, look what I get to give. I'm giving my everything for him. No greater love is there than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. I wonder if they kind of took that and said, I'm going to give, Jesus, you died for us. I'm going to give my life to you. I think that's what we're called to do in this day and in this time. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I remember reading that one day and I was just in my, in my God time, I was in my personal God time and I was reading and that just struck me. I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean for I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live? But then it says, but the life I do live, I live in you. What does that mean? I began to think through it and pray through it. And friends, I believe that the call of God on your life as men is to be wholehearted. To be wholehearted in your pursuit of Jesus. To be wholehearted in your giving your life to him. For, you have been, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You can be wholehearted right now. In this moment, you can 100% give all of your heart to live for Jesus. No greater love is there than this, that a man give his life. You can do that right now. It is possible. In everything you do, it has potential to be worship. Every action, every deed, every word you say, everything. We can fully glorify Christ right now. In everything we do, we can be wholehearted. We can't. The issue is, will you? Are you going to make the decision? Are you going to choose to be wholehearted today, in this moment? I think a lot of us like the idea of wholehearted. We like to come to the desperation conference or go to church camp or go to Wednesday nights or go to Sunday mornings or go to school even. I don't know where it is. And, and we like to, in the moment, celebrate the raw, yeah, I'm going to be wholehearted for Jesus. But then we kind of get back and regular life starts setting in and we're like, ah, I don't really know. And we start to make these little excuses here and there. I don't know, maybe you haven't, but you know, I, I know in my own life, there's times where, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, I really want to give my everything for, to Jesus. I want to live for him completely, but you know, I can't do it right now because right now I got school and school is like so crazy busy. And so Jesus, I love you, but I'm going to be wholehearted in the next season of my life. You know, that's when I'm going to go all out as much as I can. Jesus, man, once I walk across that stage at graduation, I am headed and I am, I'm wholehearted going after you. 
You know, so for some of us, it's because, you know, it's the next season. We, we, we put it off to the next season. I think some of us, we, we, uh, we say, oh, I want to be wholehearted, but I, I'm, I'm a little too immature in my walk with Jesus now. So it's just going to take some time. And eventually I'm going to be wholehearted. But, but right now I, I'm just a baby Christian. I don't, you know, we like that phrase. I want to, but, but just not right now. Because why? Because why? Because I'm in school because this isn't the right time, because work is too hard, because my girlfriend doesn't really think it's a good idea. We, we, we abandon wholeheartedness. We abandon the idea of being wholehearted. We get coming, we get so excited, and we abandon the idea of wholeheartedness instead of being wholehearted right now. But I think you can be, I think you can give your everything in this moment, in reaction to who Jesus is, that you say, Jesus, you said that no greater love is there than this. Jesus, you love me. I cannot fathom the love that you have for me. And a man cannot do anything more than giving their life. Jesus, I give you my life. Do you know that in everything you do, in every, every, everything you do, you can say, Jesus, there's nothing better I could give you right now. I chose you instead of me. I'm not talking about giving your life like necessarily like I'm saying the disciples when they were martyred. I'm talking about in every little decision. When you choose to have a good attitude instead of a bad attitude. When you choose to, to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. When you choose to be Christ-like, you're giving up your own self. You're giving up your desires for him. And you can say in that moment, Jesus, there's nothing greater I can do for you. I just loved you. I just loved you. I think that's a powerful, powerful thing. You can be wholehearted right now. Every time you choose righteousness and holiness, every time you choose to be Christ-like, you're giving your everything. The problem is, though, is that the truth of it is that this is going to rearrange your life. When you decide that I'm going wholehearted, I'm going full out for Jesus, it's going to rearrange your life a little bit. Because you know what you find out? If you read that I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me, all of a sudden, we're not talking about your destiny. All of a sudden, we're not talking about your calling. We're not talking about your future. We're not talking about your money. Because you, you don't have it. You've given it up to Jesus. You've, re, you, you've said, Jesus, I am yours. But guess what, friends? It's in that decision that you are entering into a union with the all-powerful God. It's in that moment that you can say that, that, that it's not about me, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. For the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. You can join that movement, the forcefully advancing kingdom of God. That's my desire for us as men. I mean, I know this isn't really what you're supposed to talk about when you get, when you get with a bunch of guys, right? You're supposed to talk about how to not sin and how to not do the bad things. And there's some really key words that you're supposed to say, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to be ruled by those things. You can be wholehearted in love with Jesus every moment of every day. And it's going to change the way you live. You know that the most... The, 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 the strongest thing you can do, the way that this will play out, this, this violence, is to deny yourself. I mean, it's hard. Like, like, 
I, it, this isn't always going to look like this crazy, radical, insane thing. When you're driving home for, on, on this little trip, right? How many, you guys, how many you guys drove out here? Anybody drive vans? I heard of one team that has like 11 vans all packed full. That is quite a posse. All right, so you're driving back, right? And uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a girl sitting next to you on the van or on the bus, and, and she's like one of those girls that talks a lot. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And she's just, you're like, don't they all? <laughs> no. And, and so you're, you're there, and, you know, she's, and, you know, like 30 minutes, fine, fine, fine. An hour, you know, like three hours into it, you're like, oh, for the love, please shut up. You know, I know you know what I'm talking about. In that moment, do you know that the most violent thing you can do is to deny your flesh and, and, and love her as Christ loved her? You know, in, in that moment, to react and say, oh, Please stop talking before I shake you. That's easy to do. The hard thing to do is smile and listen. This violence, rebelling against your own flesh, that's the most violent thing that you can do. Rebelling against the, the thing that your heart desires, the thing that, you want, that your flesh desires, the thing that you want to do, that is the most manly thing that you can do in those moments. When your friends are, are trying to get you to do things that you know aren't Christ-like, that you know Jesus, Jesus wouldn't do, and you have the cute little bracelet on. When your friends are trying to get that, the, the most violent thing to do, won't be, won't, it won't be seen by them, but the most violent thing to do is to rebel against your flesh. When everything in you wants to sin, when everything in you wants to do, do this or do that, the hardest thing to do is to say no. Because I know who Jesus is. I've, I've encountered Jesus. I serve a God that this, these things, are, these things are, are tempting here. But do you know where we're going with this? And listen, as I'm talking about being wholehearted, as I'm talking about giving your all to Jesus, I think that there's only one way that it can happen. You got to get to know him. Get to know this man, Jesus. That's the invitation that you're receiving this weekend. We, have a, we, we serve a God who is knowable. Do you know how crazy that is? We serve a God who, who invites us to come and know him, to love him as he loves us. We can love him because he first loved us. Get to know Jesus. You become like that which you behold. If you behold Jesus, you're going to become like Jesus. I think that we can have men that are leading in loving Jesus, men that are leading in spending time with him, men that are leading youth groups and prayer meetings and whatever it may be that are leading people to Jesus. Why? Because you've spent time with him and you begin to know who he is. As you spend time with him, you, become to be, you begin to become like him. Do you know that the most, the, I, I, I know it doesn't sound like it, but I mean the most manly thing you can do is to deny your earthly longings the most manly thing you can do is to become like Jesus. Imagine that. You know, the guy who made men. You become like him. That's the, that's the best thing you can do. And it's going to turn you into this, this crazy, crazy violent person, but not violent like we think of violence. This, the war is waged against the, this world and against the things that this world offers. These adventures that I was talking about, you know, th th that is in you. I mean, when, when, when Fred was talking earlier today about, you know, going to nations and spreading the gospel, I guarantee you for a lot of you, that excited you. When he's talking about sneaking into countries you're not supposed to be in, that excites us. 
We like those things. We go see the exciting movies, even though we know how it's going to end. I mean, when was the last time you went to like an adventure movie not knowing that the good guy was going to win? You know, you know, I have, I have bad news for you. Batman is going to win. I know I ruined it for those of you that, I know for those of you that, I haven't seen it yet. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's going to happen. I mean, I was so surprised, you know, when Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, when, when at the end it turned out good, I was like, oh, no. I was like, for sure, that the 60-year-old man was going to, no way could he still do it. But he did it. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was so surprised. We, we, we get excited about this adventure factor. We get excited about, about joining something bigger than ourselves. And, and, and we get excited about those things because God's placed that in you. Friends, you have an invitation to join the greatest team ever. The team that Pastor Brady talked about, God's undefeated. Just join him. You get to never lose again. I mean, that's pretty exciting. We can give our everything love that is completely given. Love that, that a heart that gives everything is a heart that, that is completely given over to Jesus and it changes the way you live. I want you to be powerful men. I want you to be powerful in your relationship with Jesus. I want you to be powerful in your leadership. I want you to be powerful in your families. That comes from becoming Christ-like. And see, so much of this inner desire that we have stems because we, for some reason, have spent hours upon hours feasting on the world. And we've made every excuse for why it's okay. We play, listen, I don't know why, you know, I mean, I talk to guys, I can't tell you how many guys I know that waste hours playing video games. Oh, I offended some of you. Don't touch my video games. Those are so good. Don't, don't, don't talk trash about my Wii. We watch movies, we watch sports. I mean, we do all these things and, and we, we feast on the world. You become like that which you behold. I think we need to start Start spending time with Jesus. Start feasting on him. Start gazing on him. And at first, you got to work that muscle. Maybe at first it's not very, you know, maybe it's like, oh, I, I'm going to do this, but I really would much rather, much rather be doing something else. You know, I'd rather be, I'd rather be off watching a movie or I'd rather be off playing a game or something. But the more you do it, all of a sudden you begin to grow a desire for it. I, uh, I have to admit, uh, I've grown up my whole life. I've been a pretty big Coca-Cola fan. I see some of you are, I see some of you are saved in here. And, uh, you know, there's some people out there who drink Pepsi. I pray for them. Uh, just, just when we were becoming friends, you had to go and, and do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I drank Coca, I mean, like, to absurd amounts. Like, it was really probably unhealthy. Uh, I remember I used to have a, uh, a, like a Bible study we used to do before church on Sunday mornings. And my youth pastor and, and some of us guys would go, to, uh, we'd go to Denny's and everybody would get like the Grand Slam and the moons over my hammy and all this. I, I always got a banana split and a Coke at five o'clock in the morning. That's just good. You can't lie. That's just good. You know, I, I, you know we'd... We, I, I mean, I, I wake, a lot of people drink coffee in the morning. I, I was a Coke drinker. I, it's true. It's it just the way I was built, I think. 
You know, and um, I, like, it's really bad during college football season. Like, I would come, like, a game would start, and, and uh, by the time the game was over, like, I'd have to go buy another 12-pack of Coke. I mean, like, you can just drink it. It's just, it's so smooth, and it just, it just tastes so good. I mean, I drink Coke all the time. It was kind of what people knew me as, embarrassingly, you know. Just in case you ever know, you don't want to be known for the soft drink that you drink. But I was. And, uh, and so, so recently, I, uh, we, we do these things with, with the furnace. We go on, um, we go on tours uh, every semester, and we go and we do nights of prayer and worship with, with youth groups uh, across the country. So we load up 50, 60 college students on a bus. We take a band, and we go, and we do nights of prayer. And, uh, and that's not really, uh, as, you go, as you're kind of doing that and you're on the road, as you guys know with this experience that you're doing right now as you're doing your youth group thing, you've probably eaten McDonald's a lot, or you, know, you stop off at gas stations, and you load up on the, the great beverages that they have there or the, you know, the, the great health food that they have there. And so I had this, uh, this crazy vision, and I was like, I'm not going to drink Coke this entire week. I know, I know. It was, it was, listen, that was, that was a, it was a little too, I, I was, it was a little extreme. I knew I wasn't really going to be able to do it, but I was like, I'm going to set the, the, the bar high. And then I did something even worse. I said, in its place, I'm going to drink water. I know, right? Now make sure... Uh, all the Colorado people, oh, water, great. Yeah, water, you know, like, make sure you're drinking water. We're in Colorado. We're a little bit above sea level, so drink that water. But I, growing up and, and throughout my whole life, I've not been a water drinker. I've kind of despised it. It's kind of for those kind of people, you know. Like, for those of you that aren't from here, Colorado people are really prideful about their water. They have these... These really ugly bottles that they think are so cool called Nalgene's. And uh, they're supposed to be like unbreakable. Yeah, so, so I did like the worst thing I could ever do. I was like, I'm not going to drink Coke. I'm going to drink water this whole time. And so I, uh, I went through and it, it killed me. Like all my, everybody's getting these drinks. And there's just, I, you might not know this, but a double quarter pounder with cheese and fries do not taste the same when you're drinking water. They're actually gross. You get a Coke, delightful. Water, ugh, you know? So, so I drank water this whole, this whole week. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I didn't feel any different. I didn't come home like, oh, I'm skinny and healthy and love this. Oh, it's so wonderful. I came home and I was like, man, I want a Coke. <laughs> and, uh, but I said, you know what? I've done this for a while. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. I'm going to... I'm going to keep not drinking Coke. I'm going to keep drinking water. So, uh, so I did. I kept going. And then uh, it came around time for Thanksgiving. And at Thanksgiving, uh, my fiance and I went to her mom's house for Thanksgiving dinner. She lives in Texas. And uh, anybody from Texas? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of healthy people in Texas. Um, what? Uh, and Oklahoma. And uh, so I went to, uh, went to Texas, and, and, and she, um, being as sweet as she is, she had purchased a lot of Coke for me for that weekend. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm like, I, I had gone so long that I was like, I, I want to keep going, but there it is. And so I decided that I would like, 
I was going to be nice, and I had to, I had to drink the Coke because I was like, I have to break my, my, my Coke fast. And it wasn't like a spiritual fast, but I was like, I got to do it because I got to be kind here. And so we sit down, and I open a Coke, and, and I drank it, and the sweet nectar hit my lips. <laughs> and friends, it was disgusting. I was like... I was like, what is this syrupy, sweet grossness? This is not the Coke that I've drank my whole life. Where did you get this? So I tried a different one. Gross. A few days later, maybe, surely this one, still gross. This weird thing had happened in me. And for so long, I had trained myself that, I re- that this was my favorite drink. And I drank it so much that when I finally stopped, I got used to not drinking it. When I went back, I was like, I don't really like this so much. This isn't really what it's about. This is, that's a dumb example. But I tell you that all just to say, friends, what you consume is what you're going to desire. If you consistently consume things of the world, that's what you're going to desire. If you consistently are, are trying to do the whole, I'm going to live in the world but not of the world, but really all you're doing is using that as an excuse to be in the world, then guess what? That's what you're going to desire. If you're living a kind of life where you're, where you're putting before your eyes or you're listening or, or whatever you're doing is constantly this world, if you're not putting in Jesus, then guess what? Jesus is going to be the, oh, that's, that's the side. And the truth is, is that if I, I challenge you, to, as you start spending time with Jesus, it's not going to be easy at first. As you go home, it's not going to be like, oh, I went to the desperation conference and I got, this was so awesome and it was a great time. And so I go back and raw, I'm a superhuman Christian, awesome guy. And it's so easy to pray and read my Bible. No, it'll probably be, it'll probably be something you have to, to choose to do. But as you continually place yourself before him, as you continually place your, your, your heart before the flame of God, then all of a sudden what happens is you become like him. And he's what you begin to desire. God is who you begin to desire, not the things of this world. And I say that to you now and you think I'm lying. You think surely that can't be it, but friends, it's true. Guys, it's true. I, 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 I challenge you, I dare you. How about that? I dare you. Try it. Start spending time with Jesus. See if you don't get addicted to him. See if you don't begin to to desire the things of Jesus. You can be wholehearted in your pursuit of Jesus right now in everything you do. Whether you're mowing the lawn, playing football, whatever you're doing. I mean, you you can be wholehearted for Jesus playing video games if you're doing it for the right reason, which I have yet to find. By the way, for those of you that uh, someday might want to look for a wife, I have a recommendation. Put down the video game controller. It's the best step you can do. <laughs> anyway, that was free. You don't even have to. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, everything you do can be worshipped him. It can be given to him. I want to tell a story about a, a guy in the Bible. I think he kind of gets a bad rap. It's the story of Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah? Jonah is a good guy. He's a prophet. We go through and we read Jonah and see, I think a lot of people look at Jonah and, and if you, you kind of think of who he is, you think he's a fearful guy, maybe he's a rebellious guy. Look at the story of Jonah. What happens? Jonah is this prophet of God, right? So he has a relationship with God and, uh, and he's connected with God and, and God speaks to him. Well, then God comes and God says, Jonah, 
I have, I have something for you to do. I have a message for you to give. And Jonah 1 said, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And this is where Jonah, this is kind of where we see Jonah's, his flaws, right? It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed toward Tarnish. God says, Jonah, go preach against Nineveh. And Jonah says, ooh, I'm going to go the other way. And we look at that and we're like, why is that? Maybe, was Jonah this super rebellious guy that was just, had this, you know, he really wanted to rebel against what God had him to do? I don't think so. If you look at Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyrians were known for destroying their enemies. For, for, for uh, I mean, graphically, like, you come against the Assyrians and they're going to cut your head off. They're going to kill you. They are violent people. No one, none of, Assyria, none of Assyria's enemies lived. So when, Jesus, or when God says to Jonah, go and preach against Nineveh, Jonah says, hmm, against the city that kills everybody. No, thank you. I'd rather not, God. I'm going this way. Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh because Jonah was afraid for his life. Jonah did not want to lose his life. So he goes the other way. He goes out on a ship. We know the story. Jonah's on the ship. Waves come, wind comes, craziness happens. And, uh, and so Jonah, it says, while the storm is raging, all the guys on the ship are freaking out. And they're like, oh, no, why is this happening? And Jonah, meanwhile, is in the bottom of the ship sleeping. And, uh, and so they're probably like, what is that fool doing? And I don't think he was really sleeping. I think he was avoiding the conversation. He was like, I'm going to pretend to be asleep so that they don't come question me on why the storm is happening. But uh, maybe that's not biblical. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, so Jonah's down there sleeping. Finally, they get Jonah. Jonah comes up and they say, why is this happening? And Jonah says... Well, guys, it's because of me. I'm running from God. So Jonah, who is running from God in order to save his life, here he volunteers and says, I'm running from God. That's why the storm is happening. So um, I'm going to jump off this boat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to, I'll give my life so that you guys can live. So they say, sounds like a good deal. Toss him over. <laughs> so there Jonah is. And, and the very man that was running to save his life now willingly says, I want to, I'll give up my life to save you guys. And then Jonah's in the waves and he's in the ocean. And uh, all of a sudden, big fish, we call it a whale. I don't know why. That's what VeggieTales says it is. For me, that's what Superbook said it was. And, uh, you know, so big, big fish comes and swallows Jonah. Now, then Jonah goes, and we get this awesome, great psalm slash prayer of Jonah. And here he is, and, and he's reading it. And, and while he's in the belly of the fish, he's, he, he's, he cries out to God, and he says, God, have I been banished from you? And in this moment, he repents, and he recommits his life to Jesus. He gives up, and he says, I'm sorry, God, I was running. I repent. I give my life to you. Now, here's the crazy thing. We think of this moment like Jonah has just gotten saved. We know that by nature of being swallowed by the fish, that he was saved because the fish spit him up. I want, I want you to imagine with me for a second. Let's say you're in the middle of the ocean and some punks throw you over to save their life. And you're sinking and all of a sudden a big fish comes and swallows you. What is your thought process? Oh, yay, I'm saved. Jonah did not think he was saved in this moment. Jonah's in a fish. He's like, my life is over. I'm dead. 
There, there is no more for me. In that moment, he says, God, I've run from you, but have I been banished? He says, there's no one like you. He recommits his life to God. Then what happens? In that moment, the fish goes and swims, pukes him up on land. Again, a nice cute thing that we think of. I've never been thrown up by a fish, but I don't think it's very fun. But at least he's alive, right? So here Jonah is, alive. Can you believe it? I mean, here he is. He's been thrown overboard in the middle of a storm, swallowed by a fish. I mean, he starts off, you know, and he's like, God says, go to Nineveh. He says, oh no, they're going to kill me. I'm going the other way. Then he's like, oh no, looks like uh, I'm going to make these other guys die. I'm willingly going to give up my life. See, that's why I think Jonah's a good guy. Because Jonah gave up his life for these guys to live. They throw him over. Fish swallows him. Comes, spits, he, he, he repents. Fish spits him up on land. What happens at that moment? God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. You know what Jonah did? He went to Nineveh. He, he declared the, the word that God had given him. The king declared a fast. The city was saved. I mean, we're talking like one of the greatest cities of this time. Mass revival happening in this city. And as we look at that story, I, I think it's interesting. Because Jonah ran from God to save his life. Then Jonah said, I'm going to give up my life to save these other guys. Then he repented. He was saved. When God said, Jonah, go back to Nineveh, I don't think he was like, oh, well, maybe. I don't know all his motions. One day maybe I'll ask him. But, but at that moment, I don't know that he was like, okay, this has been such a crazy ride. I guess I'm supposed to go. I think Jonah went to Nineveh because Jonah had already lost his life. Jonah, what was originally scary for Jonah was the idea of losing his life, but he'd already lost it. He lost it when he jumped in the water. He lost it when the fish swallowed him. And he realized that God was his savior. It was not his running that saved him. It was God that saved him. And he no longer feared going away. He no longer feared the Ninevites because A, they could come and they could try to kill him. And he knew that God was able to save him or B, he had already lost his life. He was living on borrowed time. I think it's such an amazing characteristic of God, the way he handles us. When we repent and recommit our lives to Jesus, when we say, God, I wanna live for you, when we give our lives, he's able to redeem your mistakes. He takes what, the, the dumb things that we've done and he redeems them. And Jonah went, starting out the story, the sinful, rebellious man, ending up the story, the messenger of God that brings revival to the city. And it's because he no longer feared death, because he knew who his God was. He knew his God was able to save, and he had already lost his life. He said, my life, I've already lost it, so I might as well go. For you have been crucified with Christ, therefore you no longer live but Christ lives in you. The life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Men, I hope that we are the kind of guys that have said, I've lost my life. Jesus, do with me as you please. 
I'm not afraid of what the world has to offer. I'm not afraid of what they're gonna do to me. I'm not afraid of what other people are gonna think. I'm not afraid of how other people are gonna treat me because I have given you my life. And in the greatest act of love, I give my life to you, Jesus. You gave your life for me. I give my life to you. And every day you can make the decision again. I re-sign up. I'm gonna give my greatest love to Jesus today by giving my life, by giving my all. And then when you begin to do that, the fears of this life dwindle as you look to your God who is unstoppable, the God who is all-consuming, who is all-powerful. You gonna stand with me? I just wanna pray for you. Go ahead and stretch out your hands. God, I thank you for these men. God, I pray that we will be the kind of men that give our lives to you wholeheartedly with everything we have, 100% that we will be given over to you. That every moment of every day, we choose to follow you. And when we fail, that we re-sign up again. When we fall short, that we re-sign up again saying, Jesus, I want to be wholehearted today in this moment. God, I pray that you will give us the ability, the strength to do this. God, I pray for incredible men to come forth from this group of guys. Men that lead people to Jesus. Men that lead a generation to pursuing you. God, it starts by us gazing on you and getting to know who you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.